Women on the Rise is supported by The Riveter. The Riveter is a modern union for working women, offering content, community, and work and gathering spaces, all designed with a focus on women and work. The Riveter has been my work, community, and home for the last two years. Countless collaborations and friendships have come from my post-event chats and kitchen conversations with my fellow Riveters. Ask anyone at The Riveter Fremont, I like to hang out in the kitchen because there's chocolate there. Equity of opportunity should be a reality, not a promise. Visit theriveter.co to learn more. And by Armoire. Do you love variety but hate the clutter and expense of new clothes? That is totally me. So I use Armoire, a clothing rental service for today's boss lady. Armoire gives me access to designer clothes I can exchange on my schedule for a flat monthly fee. I get access to a guilt-free flow of new clothes without the hassle of shopping or dry cleaning. Best thing ever. Women on the Rise listeners can try Armoire today for $100 off your first month using code WOTR100. That's WOTR100. Visit armoire.style to get started and use that discount code. It helps the show when you do. There's even a link right in your podcast player in the episode notes for easy access. I mean, it did get to be really overwhelming because I had been less than two years out of a divorce at that point and, you know, getting laid off, it just sort of felt like this massive clean slate that was kind of intimidating. And I felt like I could really live anywhere in the world and be happy, but that's a big playing field. And that's a big decision to make of where do you want to go from there? Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm executive and lifestyle coach, Lara Dolch. And each week, I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy living, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, mindset, and leadership, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect. My goal each week is to uncover new insights that you can immediately apply to your work and life to recapture your momentum and achieve your big dreams now. Hey, podcast listeners, we are almost at the end of season seven. I've got two more new episodes for you, including this one, before I take an extended spring break from production to dream up what's next for the podcast. And these last two episodes of the season are from women who in some way reinvented themselves after about 10 years in their careers. Not only that, but this week's guest happens to share my first name, more unusual than you might think, especially in terms of the pronunciation of Lara. And next week's guest is a former coaching client of mine who I recently reconnected with. I know you will love them both. Before I introduce you to this week's guest, I have one quick announcement. If you take a few minutes to fill out my listener survey between now and April 15th, I'll include your name in a drawing for a signed copy of a book written by one of my former guests, Michaela Kiner, and maybe a second book signed by another guest and author if I can track her down in time. Michaela's book is called Female Firebrands, Stories and Techniques to Ignite Change, Take Control, and Succeed in the Workplace. It is truly an incredible resource for women in the workplace with practical strategies on navigating issues like sexual harassment, not being taken seriously, being talked over, passed over, underpaid, underappreciated, all the things that we as women deal with, unfortunately, daily in the workplace. She also shares stories from other professional women about how they've navigated it and the bright spots that have come from that. You definitely want this book in your library. 
So to fill out my listener survey and enter the drawing for the book or books, go to lauradolch.com slash podcast survey. Again, that's lauradolch.com slash podcast survey and make sure you get in your feedback by April 15th so you don't miss out on the drawing. Thanks so much for doing that. Oh, and check out Michaela's new female firebrands podcast too. It is my latest project as a podcast producer. I know you will love it. Also, I would be a little bit tone deaf if I didn't at least acknowledge how stressful our situation is as a country and as a world right now. I hope you and your loved ones are well and navigating our collective social distancing as well as possible. Hopefully listening to podcasts like this one while you're stuck inside more than usual helps at least a little bit. I'm really grateful to have you as part of my community, even if it's only virtual right now. Laura Banker grew up as an expat, so she's no stranger to starting over in new places. But getting laid off from her dream job catapulted her into a journey through unknown spaces, both physical and internal, a journey that ultimately allowed her to transform into the best version of herself. We talked about the kind of strange location in which Lara's former employer told her she was being laid off, the community of women who rallied around her and why sharing stories with them was so healing, how suddenly having a bunch of free time helped Lara get clear about her priorities, how she sold all of her stuff and hit the road in a converted van to figure out what was next. And finally, the love at first sight moment that helped Lara decide where to live and work after 18 months on the road. Lara's story is both unique and oddly familiar. I suspect you'll see some of your own journey in hers too. Enjoy. I have to first acknowledge as we get started how cool it is to be interviewing another Lara. Could you tell my listeners sort of how that came up and and what the origin of our name is? <laughs> why it was so fun to connect about that. Oh my gosh. It's so wild. I've met less than a handful of other Laras in my life. And then talking to you and realizing that our names both originated from Dr. Shivago. Uh, it just, I've, I've never met anyone like that. And it's such a generational thing. Usually when you say Dr. Shivago, people are like, what are you talking about? Totally. <laughs> There's a really cool connection. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Actually, it's interesting that you say that because it is generational and it's even like long before my generation and like, yeah. and you're younger than I am. So then it's like, it's anyway, it's just funny. Cause I, I do wonder if you looked at sort of the history of that name and, the, and that specific origin, if there are, you know, pops at different times in history. Anyway, just a fun sort of random connection, but that's not why I wanted to talk to you. <laughs> Um, although that is a fun little bit of trivia and probably my listeners don't know that that's the origin of my name either. So there you go for, for whatever that's worth. But, you know, I wanted to talk to you because of this whole idea of blazing your own trail. And I think you in particular have such an interesting story about that in a number of different areas. Why don't we start with sort of the workspace? Because you were telling me about how you left a really, you know, big marketing job at a big company without a plan for what was next. Why did you do that? And and what was the turning point for you that pushed you to do that? Yeah, so I've, I've always been a career woman. I think I've always taken a lot of pride in my work and it's been a focus. I, you know, went back and got my MBA. I had a lot of fun doing that. I've had a lot of fun making connections in the career world. 
and it's it's kind of been my baby, you know, as someone who just really wanted to invest in being successful. It's been a big part of my life and I've always been really good at it and I felt very accomplished. You know, I felt like I could move through and kind of grow in the ways that I wanted to and take control of my life in that way. And it's really empowering. And, you know, things go wrong in life, but it just felt like at the end of the day, I was always good at my job. And I always got praised for that. And so that felt good. So I was working at a job that I really loved, but just wasn't feeling like I was being seen as a leader in the company the way that I wanted to. So I took this promotion and raise and title bump and just felt like total hot shit, you know, when you're 26, 27 (laughs) and taking that kind of career move, you know, it felt like I was being promised the world. It just felt like such a good opportunity. And as many of us know, when you're promised the world, oftentimes it's not really true. So I quickly kind of learned that it came with a lot of sacrifices. I was basically not spending time with any of my friends. I was working 80 hours a week. I worked on weekends. I was giving up vacations with friends. And at some point, I think I was like four months into the job. I just remember driving to work. And sometimes I leave myself these little voice memos just to kind of reflect on at various times of life. And I was recording this memo and I've gone back and listened to it a few times since then. And it just sounds so sad. I was just deflated and I felt like the most broken version of myself. I just wasn't, I wasn't myself. I was very, very stressed, felt like I could never win. It was never good enough. I was never working hard enough. I was, you know, just, just trying, trying, trying and kind of spinning my wheels. So I wasn't, it wasn't an environment that I was feeling like I was bringing my best to the job because it was so just intense and stressful. And it was taken away from literally everything else in my life, which feels like, is any job really worth that? Probably not. So I ended up actually getting laid off from that job after about seven months which came as a huge shock to me. I was incredibly devastated. I had never been laid off. And uh, like I said, I took so much pride in my career that it felt like, what do you mean you're firing me? Like I, this is what I'm good at. This is the thing that I've invested my entire life into and have sacrificed every other part of my life for. What do you mean I'm, you know, fired? It was just totally earth shattering to me. And, you know, I found out later that they were like, financial issues and like multiple people laid off and it just was kind of this big snowball problem that probably had less to do with me. But it was, it shook me to the core for sure. And I'm sure a lot of people who've gone through that can relate. It is just hard to go through that. But it changed my perspective completely on my career for the better. You know, I learned that my job does not care about me. You know, it's not a relationship. It's not a one-to-one transaction where you put in all this time and effort and passion and you sacrifice so much. You're not going to get the equal amount back from your job. And jobs are important and they're fulfilling. And I still love work and I I take a lot of kind of satisfaction from what I do. Um, But it did change my perspective of it's not everything and it's not going to care for you the way that your friends do, your family does, and these other parts of life that are also important. I can still relate to a lot of pieces of that, including the fact that I was also laid off many years ago, which 
changed my journey as well. Tell me about that moment though, when you were told you were being let go and what that felt like and how you sort of processed it. Yeah, that was a wild day. (laughs) (laughs) Shudder, right? Yeah. Well, I had been told that I needed to be at some business development meeting and we were meeting at a restaurant and that was probably the worst place to tell me. It was kind of like they didn't want me to be in the office. So we met offsite at this restaurant and there was another person, like an admin person there. And the CEO sat me down and just kind of immediately was like, this is awkward. This is not good news. You know, you're let go. And I just burst into tears. I mean, frankly, like I could not believe that this thing that seemed so wonderful on the front end was just being taken away in in the split second for me. And I went home and I called all my girlfriends and they all came over and supported me. And, you know, the coolest part of that was I'm pretty sure that every single woman in the room that night had been laid off at some point also. And I don't think it's the thing we talk about enough because there is so much shame around it. And who knows why they were laid out? You know, there's like a million reasons why you could be laid off. And I think that shame is not really justified in a lot of ways. But to hear their stories and to hear, you know, get that camaraderie from them to process together of, you know, you're going to get through this and this is really hard, but we've all done it. And we're all, you know, a part of the story of showing you that you can do it too. What was it like when you were on the other side? And did you have a moment where you were like, sort of past that initial shock and you were like, oh, wait, this is kind of interesting. (laughs) This is an interesting opportunity. Definitely. Oh my gosh. You know, what's so fun about just being kind of having it sprung on you that you have all this free time all of a sudden is you start to recognize what you actually spend your time on. And you just sort of go into this like default mode of just like filling your days. And I was applying for jobs and doing things like that. But I started to realize, you know, when I have all this time, I spend it outside. It it was January and I was still in the woods, cross-country skiing or running with my dog, or I was baking a lot. And I think it's a really great way to sort of rediscover yourself and figure out, you know, outside of my job, what who am I? What is my identity? What do I spend time on? I don't think I had had that long of a break, which it was only about a month before my next job, but I hadn't had that long of a time period to really kind of discover myself. And it was really enlightening. And I think it brought a lot of clarity to just say, what do I find important? What outside of my job is really significant to me? And you really sort of need that space to to come to that clarity. Yeah, absolutely. That That sort of white space is so rare these days. And I'm curious to know how what you discovered during that time kind of informed what you did next. Fortunately, I got a job pretty quickly. And I think a lot of what I discovered, things just sort of fell into place. You know, when when you're laid off and you're looking for work, you're, you are kind of, you know, desperate and scratching and you feel like you need something immediately. I think I was really lucky that I ended up with a job that made a lot of sense and I enjoyed, I was able to work remotely. And because of that, it really fed into just a lot of other decisions after that, where I was like, you know, I'm working remotely. I don't really want to stay in Indianapolis forever. I could go anywhere. You know, where do I want to live? I had, <laughs> I had just taken a trip to Guatemala and I thought, 
I could go live in Guatemala and work from there. It's on central time zone. Like, why wouldn't I? It's inexpensive and I could save money. And your mind just starts spinning with all these ideas of, you know, like, where do I want to be? What do I want to do with my life? And it, I mean, it did get to be really overwhelming because I had been less than two years out of a divorce at that point and, you know, getting laid off. It just sort of felt like this massive clean slate that was kind of intimidating. And I felt like I could, I could really live anywhere in the world and be happy, but that's a big playing field. And that's a big decision to make of where do you want to go from there? So what did you do to, to kind of move through all of that with that? Cause you're right. Like it can be super overwhelming when you have that many choices. It is. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> this is actually not the first time I've done this, but I started selling all of my things, which is a part of my expat personality where, uh, you know, moving around so much as a kid, like it's very normal to just purge as a part of transition phases. So I think it felt familiar to me to just start like selling all of my stuff, which feels very strange to most people, I'm sure. And it's not the first time I've done that. My Amazing to me. I wish I could bring myself to do it. (laughs) It's a, it's a weird habit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My friends will tell you that they've watched me purge my life definitely more than once. But it was cathartic to me. And so I just started like selling all my stuff. And I sort of in the back of my mind was like, you know, I don't want to be in Indianapolis. So where do I want to move next? And since I was working remotely, I knew that I loved the outdoors and I'm pretty sure I wanted to live out West somewhere. So I decided to just move into a van and I built out, it was a Chevy G10 conversion van. I gutted it. I built it into like a tiny house, basically spent a month kind of setting it up. Fortunately, my brother let me park in his backyard in Minneapolis and build out this van, which was quite the task. I don't think I would do that again, but it was, it was a lot of work. And I spent the next 18 months basically traveling the West and figuring out where I wanted to land, what I wanted to do. You know, I was at a job that was relatively easy. It was something that I had done for a long time. So it felt very comfortable and I was good at it. And so I didn't have like a ton of stress with work. And it sort of gave me the freedom to, to focus on like, where do I want to go? What do I, what do I want to do with the rest of my life and career and give me that space to make those decisions? I love this story so much. (laughs) And I have so many questions. Well, first of all, I need to hear about the van. Like, tell me what the inside of the van looked like when you, when you converted it. What was that about? Oh, man, I, I loved that van. I could talk about it for hours. Uh, her name was Gertrude. She, nice. was, <laughs> she was white on the outside. And it was like a 1991 Chevy conversion van. And it only had 60,000 miles on it when I got it. So it was very low mileage and I knew it was going to be reliable. And it was, it was a really great van. It was wonderful to drive around with and treated me really well. I literally stripped out everything. So all of the wiring and flooring and carpet and paneling, everything was just stripped out, layered in insulation for soundproofing and then insulation for heat and to keep it cool. And then did plywood for all the floors and ceilings. And then from there, I just custom built all of the spaces and nooks and crannies to fit my stuff. I had like certain bin sizes and storage containers that I wanted to fit into the van. So I, I knew I wanted a full size bed just because 
I like my sleep. <laughs> so that was a priority. Uh, I made the full size bed. And then from there, just the rest of it was building out these little kind of custom nooks and crannies to fit all of my stuff, which was definitely like a Tetris puzzle. It was super fun and interesting to plan. The actual building part was very hard. <laughs> I'm sure. I can't even imagine. I, I That's such a huge project. Tell me about a time during that sort of journey that you felt like completely freaked out and you were like, what have I done? <laughs> was there a moment like that? Oh, there are so many moments. How can I choose one? <laughs> yes. Tell me about that night or that day when you were feeling that way. Oh man. I think the one, the one where I felt it the most strongly was actually within the first week on the road. <laughs> and it was June and I was driving through Kansas and it was hot and I hadn't put in a ceiling fan into the van yet. And so it just got like stifling hot in there at night and I couldn't sleep and I had pets with me and I was worried about the pets. And I came down with the flu. So not only was it super hot and I was worried about us all dying, you know, from heat stroke, but I was just incredibly sick. Like I couldn't even lift my head. I could barely open my eyes. And it was barely a week on the road at that point. So I actually ended up uh, renting a room from someone in the middle of nowhere, Kansas for a week while I could recover from the flu. And I definitely called a friend and was like, I think I've made a huge mistake. I don't think I could do this. Oh man. <laughs> and she, she talked me off the ledge and she was like, you just need a fan. You know, you need to not be sick and then everything will be better but it just felt like how how can I do this you know this is this seems impossible and sure enough I did get better and I did install a fan and it helped everything and yeah it's just such a process to sort of navigate how to transition into that life it's a whole different world yeah I, I bet well how did you know when it was time to settle man I I am not one to really believe in like love at first sight, but I basically stumbled upon Seattle by accident. I was planning on staying on the peninsula for about a month and just ran into some issues with where I was staying and uh, some other things. Internet's really hard out there, so I couldn't really work in the way that I was planning on. And I had a friend messaged me randomly and she was like, Hey, I'm in Seattle. You should just come stay with me, you know, when you're passing through. And I was like, well, I wasn't really planning on passing through. So uh, I guess I can change my plans. And I remember the very moment I got to Seattle and I was driving across the West Seattle bridge and just looking at the city and the water and immediately was just felt at home and felt comforted, felt there's something about Water. I mean, I grew up partially in Minnesota and partially overseas, and I've always kind of lived near water. That really made me feel comfortable in the city vibe, made me feel comfortable. And I, I didn't really trust it at first. I was like, you know, don't make a spontaneous decision just because you are having this moment right now uh, driving into Seattle. And so I gave it a couple of months just to make sure that I was serious. And, and it stuck around. And I more and more in love. And it was sort of one of those things where like, I didn't know why I was falling in love with Seattle or Pacific Northwest, but the longer I've stayed, the more things have fallen into a place to kind of confirm that decision. So sometimes your gut just 
knows and it's it's strange and you can't really explain it uh, but it's been sort of an ongoing confirmation just from all these pieces falling into place well and i have to imagine that having been through this experience and also as you said having lived overseas and and moved a number of times when when you were younger that somewhere in the back of your mind i wonder if there's like this well you know if this doesn't work out i'll just figure out what to do next does that resonate with you yeah exactly yeah and that's what i tell friends when they're trying to decide if they should you know take a move or take a job across the country it's like you can always change your mind you can always go back you can go home but what if you really like it. And then you miss that opportunity to really fall in love with a new place. Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned about both in this experience and also maybe even growing up in, in Beijing, which I, you know, I believe that's where you said you grew up, right? In Beijing when yes. you were a kid. Yeah. What have you learned about, about, yeah, about letting go of stuff, not whether it's physical stuff or, <laughs> or, or <laughs> mental stuff, however you want to frame that. Yeah. Being an expat is a strange, strange reality. It's sort of one of those things where you can fit in everywhere. Like you can kind of adapt to just about any situation or group. And you're kind of this chameleon where it doesn't really matter what country you're in or what types of people you're with, or it could span, you know, all sort of different economic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, and you just kind of like adapt and you know enough about the world that you can have conversations with pretty much anybody. But the flip side of that is that you never really fit anywhere completely. You always feel a bit of an outsider because you haven't rooted down somewhere for your whole life and you don't have that deeply ingrained community. And it does create kind of a mentality that you do learn to let things go easier. But there's also this kind of like in the back of your mind craving that stability of I wish I've had the same friends for, you know, 25 years and could say, oh yeah, we grew up together and now we're still friends or this is the street I lived on and that's just never going to be a reality for me. Uh, so you, you kind of just have to work with what you have and, and the, the benefit is kind of being able to let things go and transition more easily and just being way more comfortable with change. I think the way that I grew up, change was so constant and transitions were so constant that it's kind of reduced fear in life. I think, you know, I feel like you could drop me pretty much in any country or anywhere in the world and I would figure it out. I would probably be happy. <laughs> I can navigate a lot of situations. And that is the pro side of it. But yeah, there's a lot of kind of pros and cons of both worlds. Yeah, I can. Uh, oh my gosh, this is so funny. This is sort of typical of the people that I connect with for this podcast that there's often besides just my curiosity about their story, there's often a sort of a, a reason if you want to think of it the way that I've connected with them. And, and so much of what you're talking about, like straddling that, but, you know, wanting to have sort of a deeper root in a place, but also being able to be flexible and experience new things. Even though I haven't lived overseas, I've moved quite a lot, um, more than most people, I guess, not a ton, but enough to totally relate to what you're saying. And it's so interesting. It's just so interesting to hear your take on that. I'm, I'm wondering, looking back on all of this and sort of thinking about where you are now in your career and in your life, are you happier now? Oh my gosh, a, a million percent. And and not just happier, I would say the more important part to me is that I'm the best version of myself. I think there is a lot that wasn't fulfilling me of where I was living 
before. And it's nothing to do with the place or the people. It, it's just, I think all of us have to figure out where do we thrive the most and where are we the best version of ourselves, whether it's your job or your city or your partner or your friend group, which is a service to yourself to, to make that choice, but it's also a service to others. And I feel like I'm a better friend. I'm a better, you know, daughter and sister and just in general to the world when I'm feeling fulfilled and I'm doing what's right for me, it makes me more generous and giving to the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah. What does it mean for you to be the best version of yourself? I spend, I spend a lot of time in nature, uh, being in the Pacific Northwest. It's just, it's literally in your backyard and that keeps me sane. Honestly, it's like, it's my therapy. It's my religion. I hike a lot. And when I'm not hiking, I'm running or training for a marathon or doing something like that. And it's just, I don't know what it is. I'm sure a lot of people can relate, but there's just something that brings so much calming energy and peace with being in nature. And it makes for stressful work or, you know, working with people or working with difficult situations a gazillion times easier because you're, you feel centered and you feel like you had that moment of just clearing your head and then you can go to those, you know, real life situations that can be a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's a, it's a real sort of centering force for you as I'm, I'm sure it is for many listeners and I can totally relate to that as well. Is there anything else that you would like to share with listeners, especially those who are maybe at some kind of turning point like you were at back then when you got laid off and this whole thing got triggered? I would just say, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with your career, either looking to transition or maybe you got laid off or anything like that, you know, start seeking out stories of similar experiences. I think, like I was saying earlier, it's not something that people talk a lot about, but once you start digging into it, you'll start realizing that a lot of people go through it. Probably I would guess a majority of people go through it. And once you start hearing those stories and seeing how people have taken their path, it's easier to start envisioning yourself in that same path. And I hope it's just more and more a conversation that we can use to just build each other up. I mean, your podcast is a great starting point too. I think there's a lot of people who've been on your podcast who have been in transition and give really great stories and advice for how to navigate that. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that because I'm beginning to think that really while the frame of my podcast, you know, was originally and still to some extent is self-care, which really everything we've talked about today, I think I would put in the category of self-care. I think ultimately it's about resilience. What does that mean to you? Like what does resilience mean to you and, and how have you seen it kind of play out? Uh, my parents would call it stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's another word for it. Or tenacity, maybe. I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I was always the stubborn child. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, the thing that keeps me going with resilience is thinking of the next generation of women or thinking of my nieces and just deciding like me pushing through this is for their benefit. If I don't do this, they're not going to see a woman doing it, which, you know, they'll, they'll see a lot of strong women in their life, but it is really motivating to think I'm not just doing this for myself. This is a part of a much larger narrative where women are, you know, reframing what it is to be a woman in this culture and in this country. And 
we're all kind of a part of that conversation right now. And I want my nieces and the next generation of women to know that these things are possible. So yeah, push through, be resilient, be stubborn, get what you want, take what you want out of life. I love it. That's such a beautiful place to end. Where can people connect with you online? I have uh, Instagram. Lara Banker is my Instagram handle. You can also read some of my van life stories at larabanker.com. If you are looking for marketing help, I work for bankercreative.com. We're a small and mighty marketing agency. I love it. I love it. I'll put all those links in the show notes. And thank you so much, Laura. This was so such a great conversation. Thank you. I really love what you're doing. Props to you for sure. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. If you're ready now to wake up with the energy, clarity, and confidence to take on your goals, visit lauradolch.com slash women on the rise to get a few resources I pulled together just for Women on the Rise listeners. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit lauradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, share episodes on social media or with your friends, and use the discount codes from our sponsors. It's all a huge help to the show and I truly appreciate it. This episode was produced by me with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media. Lens Group Media.